You know, being well-versed in the basics of our faith is very important, especially for our newer members. We have some people here who are newer. We have many young people here who are still learning and growing, and I still learn all the time. Every time I study my Bible, I learn something. So uh, we should always be learning, but we should be well-established in the basics of our faith. I'd like to go over a basic subject today. A man once asked, um, said, the Bible says that there is a reward for works. Jesus said, great is your reward in heaven. If we are saved by grace and not by works, why then does the Bible say repeatedly that there is a reward for works? How could works be rewarded if eternal life is free and unearned? How would you answer his question? How would you answer that person? Just as an aside, I've, um, I've always appreciated a, a good cartoon. Um, and you, I know this doesn't matter to you, but for three years I was the staff cartoonist at my university where I studied and I, on the newspaper there, and I used to do illustrations and cartoons, and I just love editorial cartoons. I love to, to watch those things. And, but Today's cartoonists, occasionally they like to draw cartoons about people standing around in heaven on clouds. Have you ever seen one of those? There's a couple of guys, you know, they're standing around on a cloud in heaven, and they're talking, and they're making some wry, ironic comment. One cartoon pictured two guys, and they've got halos and little wings or something, and they're standing on a cloud, and they're talking and um, about various things, and coming by, floating by, is this guy in a Cadillac-shaped cloud. And he's just doing this in his cloud. And there's two beautiful young ladies in the car, two or three of them, and they've got halos on too, and they're laughing and talking. He's just as happy as he can be going along. They watch him go by, and one guy turns to the other and says, he found a way to take it with him. Well, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verses 6 and 7. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verses 6 and 7. Everybody says, you can't take it with you. You know, you can't take it with you. As they say in the funeral business, the undertaker takes it all. You're not going to take it with you. And the Apostle Paul confirmed this in his letter to the evangelist Timothy. And he said here in verse 6, Now, godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. So, you know that new bass boat you got? You can't carry it out. There's nothing in this world that we gain, the new pair of shoes, the nice car, all the wonderful things that we can carry out of this world. We come in with nothing, and we go out with nothing. But the Apostle Paul was specifically referring only to physical things, things that can be carried out. Are there other things that we can take with us when we die? What do you think? Well, I'm here to tell you that you can take it with you. It's wonderful news today. I'm going to tell you three things that, according to your Bible, you can take with you after you die. Three things that you have in this life that you will have in God's kingdom, things that you can add to, 
and increase in this life that will be to your benefit in God's kingdom. You know, there's a popular saying, says, them that has gets. Kind of a cynical saying. Other people say, no, they that gets has. They can argue that out, but God's church always has a different view. They who give have. That kind of sounds contradictory. But there's many things in God's word that seems contradictory to this world that are very true. In a sense, they who give have operates a bit like spiritual economics. And understanding that is key to knowing how to take it with you. You know, what do you you really have? What do you now or ever? Well, you have things in your possession now. You have things at home. But when you give to other people, is virtue forever its own reward? Maybe do you have something from it forever? If we give, and the Bible tells us to give, we're told to give and give, what do we really have when we do that? Well, rewards are earned. You know, if you um, uh, work really hard at your job and you're rewarded with a bonus at the year end, it's because you earned that bonus. Rewards are earned. Then why does God talk about unearned salvation through faith? Does the reward that the Bible talks about, does it come by grace, meaning free, or does it come by works? How do you deal with that? This is a very basic thing in our belief And the basics are important. And frankly, this one is really misunderstood by those outside of our faith. If you go online, you can see this misunderstood badly all the time. So let's look at the doctrine of reward today. Reward for works. And see why we have a good reason to work diligently at our calling. You know, I could do a sermon on each point uh, that I'm going to cover here today. I think I have in the past, but I'm going to try to like put in a nutshell, give you a nutshell summary for each of these points, hopefully that can be easily remembered. And the title of this split sermon today is, Your Reward, You Can Take It With You. Point number one, let's start with a quick review. We'll distinguish between reward for works from justification and salvation in this point and also consider what our reward is not. Now, we believe, of course, in justification, and we believe in salvation. But we have a difference with our friends in traditional Christianity regarding them because they equate the two. They equate justification with God and from our sins and salvation. They're not the same thing biblically. Generally speaking, they believe that when they are justified by Christ's sacrifice, then they are saved. So they think when they accept Jesus or maybe let Jesus into their hearts or express this in a a number of different ways, that then their immortal soul inside their bodies kind of enters a saved state. And then so when they die and this mortal coil falls off, the immortal soul is liberated and it goes to heaven where the kingdom of God is. If it is not saved, then it goes to the other place where it burns forever in agony. That's heaven and hell. That's basically the way they put it. And if I put it a little bit uh, unfairly, that's a pretty good summary of what most of them believe. 
The doctrine of immortality of the soul, as I have said many times, blocks understanding of much of what the Bible teaches. It is a barrier to understanding. And if you can just get around that and look at what the Bible says about death and resurrection, then a lot of things work so much better. We believe and teach the biblical doctrines of the first century church. We are saved now from the guilt of our sins by the sacrifice of Christ, which is unearned justification. We have that by grace. And then we are saved from death by putting on immortality in the future at the resurrection of the just when Christ comes at the end of this age. And after our baptism and receipt of the Holy Spirit and until our death, if we sin willfully, according to your Bible, there is no more sacrifice for sin. So uh, it is possible to fall away. And the doctrine of once saved, always saved simply is not in the Bible. So God tells us to live repentant lives and to grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we obey. We do what he says about that. Overcoming throughout our lives is very important. We need to be overcomers, overcoming sin, overcoming the flesh, the adversary, the world, according to God's word. Word And he makes a way for us, and he enables us to do it. We are the work of his hands. Romans 3.20, Romans chapter 3 and verse 20. We must remember that it is by grace, and which is unmerited pardon, that we are saved from our sins, and then ultimately from death, not by our works. The eternal life that we receive in the future at Christ's coming is an infinite, unearned gift through faith in Jesus Christ. It is our faith that ultimately is counted for our righteousness, not our works, the things that we do. One verse here, verse 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Now, if you grew up in a, or went to a Protestant church, chances are you learned this as a memory verse. But a lot of times, someone will say, well, do you, do you, have you memorized the verse, uh, Romans 3.20? And they will say, yes, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. Full stop. Full stop there. Because they don't like that next part. For because, by the law is the knowledge of sin. You know, the fact that God reveals right and wrong to us through his law, his own character, his own nature, is, uh, and we obey that, and we live by that law, that doesn't justify us from our past sins when we have broken it. So by the deeds of the law, no flesh is justified in his sight. I like to say, this kind of puts it in one place for me. You can't repent of sin and break God's commandments at the same time. And if you think you can, you're deceived. That really just sort of gets it right out there. Mr. Armstrong used to say, what did he say? Repentance means change. Repentance means change. Well, it does. It changes what you're going to do in the future. If you've say, been uh, grown up and outside of the church or something, and you've been taking God's name in vain your whole life, 
And then you look at it and say, I've been profaning God's holy name my whole life. I'm going to repent of that. It changes what you're going to say. Uh, Yeah, of course it should. If it doesn't, maybe you haven't repented. Okay? But it can't change what you said in the past. You can't unring a bell. You're guilty for what you already said. If you could keep that commandment and all the rest of God's commandments perfectly in the future, it can't change the fact that you're guilty for your past sins. Only one thing can cover the guilt of your past sins. What? The sacrifice of Christ. It doesn't mean we sin in the future. We repent in the future, and we are told to repent in the future. And also eternal life that we put on when Christ comes upon resurrection, at the resurrection of the just, is an infinite thing. An infinite thing. The richest billionaire in all of the world hasn't got enough money. That's a finite thing, that money. He hasn't got enough money to buy an infinite thing. Even if he owned the whole world, this one little tiny dot in a universe... Infinite is infinite. Eternal life and infinite life must be given to you as an unearned gift. It is a gift from God. Let's look at some useful scriptures here. Romans 5, 8 through 10. Romans 5, 8 through 10. Here Paul presents Christians as being justified in the past and saved in the future. This is really obvious in the Bible. But people think (laughs) their immortal soul is saved now. It's not what their Bible says. Verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love towards us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified, that's already justified, they're speaking to the church, by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him, from the destruction of death. Verse 10. For when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Christ living in us and then in his example being resurrected is by that spirit in, that's in us that he is, resurrects us to immortal bodies. Romans 6.23. Romans 6.23. And we could do a lot of scriptures on this. Well, it's a, oh, you could turn there, but this is a memory scripture. But the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. If we die profaned by our sins, we cannot be resurrected into the kingdom of God where the holy mountain of God, you, everything is holy. You must be in the, if you die profaned by your sins, you can only be in a physical resurrection in the future and you're still going to die. The wages of sin is literally death. God gives us eternal life. It is a gift through Christ. Titus chapter 3, verses 5 through 8. Titus chapter 3, verses 5 through 8. Once again, repeating this past and future thing about justification, 
we are now justified, reconciled to God, our eternal life comes in the future. Basic to our faith. It says, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, saved us from the guilt of our past sins through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. There it is, the washing of regeneration. Verse 6, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs of eternal life in the kingdom of God according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying that these things, these things I want you to affirm constantly that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. He puts these together in many scriptures. Good works talks about faith and then the works that we are to do and continues. These things are good and profitable to men. Your good works are not only good. They are profitable to you. James chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, we won't turn there, but talks about two kinds of faith. Two kinds of faith, what kind are we talking about there? Well, there's living faith. That's the faith that is expressed in our works and what we do. And there's dead faith, faith that is not expressed. In, this is without works. Our church strongly recommends that you do not pursue your salvation through dead faith. Okay, to summarize just point number one. Being justified and saved from our sins by Christ's sacrifice is not the same as being saved from death by resurrection. And your reward for works is not the forgiveness of your sins, and it is not immortality. Point number two. Point number two. What then is our reward for works, and what is it based on, and how do we receive it? Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. We mentioned this in the very beginning of the sermon. This is Jesus speaking. He said, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets that were, who were before you. So people read that and said, well, your reward's in heaven, right? You're going to go to heaven and get your reward, and, you know, what's that going to be like? Uh, maybe... Look at this guy over here, man. He's got, he's got three halos. And this guy's got a really big set of wings over here. Look at all the strings on that heart. Man, he's, he's really going, going at it there. Is that your reward that we have in heaven? Matthew 19 verses 20 and 20, 20 and 21. Matthew 19 verses 20 and 21. Jesus here is saying, hey, your reward is in heaven. Verse 20, the young man said to him, all these things I have kept in my youth. We're breaking into a conversation here. 
what do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect in the sense of complete, go and sell all that you have and give to the poor. Boy, that would be a great work to do. That's a wonderful work. And you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Well, we know that he didn't do it. But he was promising him treasure, you know, wealth, something great in heaven. Revelation 5, 9 and 10. Revelation 5, 9 and 10. We're talking about what is your reward for works. It's in heaven. Okay? At least it is right now. I know I'm preaching to the choir on this, but I just need to mention this point. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. All the nations of the world here. Verse 10. And have made us kings and priests to our God. And we shall reign on earth. Well, people who think they, when they're going to die, they go to heaven and they've got to come back down to earth and they're going to resurrect. And they're going to, there's a lot of confusion about this point simply because they had it wrong in the first place. Matthew 16, 27. Matthew 16, 27. There is a reward for works. We just talked about that, but here we reiterate that again. Christ says, For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, will come, and then he will reward each according to his works. Okay, he's going to come to earth, and we're going to be kings and priests on earth, but the Lord's still up in heaven. What's going on? Isaiah 40, 9 and 10. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 9 and 10. A lot of wonderful, exciting, beautiful scriptures about the coming of the Messiah in the book of Isaiah. It says, O Zion, you who bring good tidings, Get up into the high mountain, O Jerusalem, you who bring good tidings. Lift up your voice with strength. Lift it up. Be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. That happened. He walked into the city or rode into the city on a donkey. Your God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, rode into the city of Jerusalem on a donkey. Verse 10, Behold, the Lord God shall come with a strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him. Ah, and his work is before him. So his reward is with him. It was in heaven when he comes, and he brings it with him. Revelation 22, 12. Revelation chapter 22 and verse 12. Once again, just want to be sure we understand that this is not just one anomaly over back in the Old Testament. Let's read the same thing in the New Testament. It said, And behold, I am coming quickly. By the way, that word quickly is tachu. Uh, we get the word tachycardia from it, fast heartbeat, your tachometer. It means something that's fast in that sense. Uh, it tells how Christ is coming not when, as in suddenly, he comes fast, 
suddenly, all at once, like a thief in the night. Some people look at that and they say he comes quickly. They thought he was going to become any time back in there 2,000 years ago. That's not what it means. He's coming as a thief in the night. He comes quickly in the sense of suddenly. Verse 12, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. So while we are on the earth in this age, our reward is in heaven. And Christ brings it when he comes at the end of this age. John 14, verses 1 through 3. John chapter 14 and verses 1 through 3. I'm going to read this from the international version. There's a translation here that I like a little bit better. This reward is offices of service in God's kingdom on earth. And it says so right here, verse 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Here's something you can trust he's going to say. In my Father's house are many rooms. Now, in your King James Version, it says mansions, meaning like large rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. We will be with him as kings and priests here on earth. The temple in Jerusalem had a lot of different rooms in it, and each room was a different office for a different priestly service, and that's the reference, what we have here. We are the temple of God. We are coming to be part of the holy mountain of God. It's going to consist of offices. If you're a king, you have an office, which is a position of service, and that's what you're going to be doing. Which office will you have? Christ is currently with the Father in heaven at his right hand, preparing many offices, mansions, so to speak. You know, God knows everything we are doing. He knows the not only the thoughts of the heart, the intents of the thought of the heart. That's a meditation item. He knows what we are becoming. He is sovereign in his understanding in everything. Well, when Christ appears, he will set up his kingdom and he brings our reward with him to earth. We will be kings and priests with him because he is the king of kings. We are the kings that he is king of. So what might some of the rewards be? Well, I said, you know, larger wings are these things. Um, let's look. Um, Luke 22, verses 24 through 30. Luke chapter 22, verses 24 through 30. You know, we always think of the disciples as being saintly people. Well, sometimes they got into it a little bit. They were unhappy with each other. And in this case, they had an argument. Now, there was also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. I would have liked to have heard that. <laughs> I'm going to be the greatest. No, I'm going to be the greatest. Is that that's basically, they were unconverted at that point. Verse 25, and he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those who exercise lordship over them are called benefactors. So I always thought that was kind of a sly. Benefactors is a Latin word, benefactor, a good doer. 
Those who exercise lordship, they called good doers. If you were under the Roman hand, you may have had some doubts about that. Verse 26, but not so among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he who governs as he who serves. For who is the greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? Is it not he who sits at the table? Yet I am among you as one who serves. But you are those who I have, who have continued with me in my trials. And I bestow upon you a kingdom, just as my father bestowed one upon me, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Offices. Their offices are that of service. They will be the greatest because they are the greatest servants. And that's what God wants to develop in us, this mindset of serving. In this case, servant leadership. Revelation 3, 7 through 12. Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 through 12. Pillars as well. Pillars, the temple of God and the holy mountain of God. These are all wonderful pictures for us. And and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, that's in verse 7. We'll hop down to verse 12. And he who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. And a position of service, a, a structural thing that holds things up, that serves in the temple. How strong are you? This is the strength of our service, but it's different from worldly service. It's the giving, loving service that God has. What kind of pillar are you today? What kind of pillar can you be in a support of God's kingdom forever? God wants to know. He would like to know that. Remember that Christ is watching what we are becoming. He's watching what fruits we bear in this age in order to determine what our reward can be in the age to come, in his kingdom, in his government. Because those offices of service that we're being training, trained for have spiritual qualities. What we think of as organizations today is skills and everything. And at headquarters, we've got people that are wonderfully skilled. You guys that work there, all of you, you people, you don't know how much I appreciate your skill and your knowledge in your jobs. It helps us to do the work. And an extraordinary amount is done by a small number of people there because of their skill and dedication and hard work. Thank you all for it. But in the kingdom... It's going to be a bit different. It's going to be a bit different because it's going to be your spiritual qualities that determine what office you can hold in the kingdom. And God wants to know, and he's working these things with us now. It's called a reward. So to summarize point number two, here it is in sort of in a nutshell. When your sins were forgiven at baptism, it was by unearned grace through the sacrifice of Christ. When you are resurrected later and put on immortality at Christ's coming and enter the kingdom of God, your eternal life will be a gift from God, made possible by faith in Christ. Eternal life in God's kingdom is an infinite gift and cannot be earned. 
But what you do after you enter the kingdom, your office, your position of service, is by reward and depends on your demonstrated works. So what is one very big important thing that you can take with you? Well, of course, your reward. You take that with you. It's there. Take it with you. Well, it's there in heaven now. Things that you do today change you in your character, and they determine what you're qualified to do, your office of reward in God's kingdom. What is your capacity to love and give? You know, God's family business is giving. At headquarters, that's what we do. We give stuff away. Now, bankers just don't understand it. It's wonderful. I love explaining it to a new banker. It's just, it's like, what? 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 No, we give everything away. We don't ask for money. You don't? No? I just love it. Don't get me started on that. It's one of the more pleasant parts of my job. But we give things away, and we are being trained to be givers. That's what God's family business does. We measure, at the church, we measure our profitability by what? How much we give, right? We gave away this many booklets. We gave away this many magazines. We gave away this. We gave away that. That's our profitability. It was going to be yours, too, forever. We're going to be in the business of giving. How much like Jesus Christ and your Father in heaven are you? This is the direct teaching of the Bible as we have seen. That's why I said earlier, they who give have. Point number three. Point number three. There's another thing that's closely related to what I've discussed. Your character. You can take it with you. And it determines very much to a large extent what your office is. Here's a scary thought. All right. When we are resurrected or changed, God will change what we are. We put on immortality. This old body that everything, the wrinkles and the gray hair, all of this is going. I'm putting on a new body, a new tabernacle. I'm putting that on. It's going to change what I am. It's going to change what you are. But it's not going to change who you are. Oh, my. See if anybody got up and ran out. No. It's not going to change who you are. We still have our own identity. We're still who we are. Luke 19. Uh, well, we won't read it all, but in Luke 19, 11 through 28, is the parable of the pounds. You're very familiar with that. And there were different people who were given a, a pound or two or five and things, and each one returned more for it just because of their skill, their nature, their character, and they were rewarded according to what they had done, what they had produced. Faithful in little, faithful in much. If you are very faithful in, with couple of pounds here, or a couple of talents, or a couple of miners, wow, you would be faithful and you'd handle a couple of cities really well. Revelation 1, verses 5 and 6. Revelation 1, verses 5 and 6. Kings and priests in authority. I'll break into the verses here. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood 
and has made us kings and priests to his Father, through his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Kings and priests. As we're becoming converted, God changes our natures. He changes our characters. Our repentance and our love and our obedience as expressed in righteous actions, those things change you. What you do changes you. Not only change your life, but they change you as well. And this enables us to have greater roles as servants, kings and priests in God's kingdom. How good are you at giving? God is up there, Christ is there, he's preparing, he's setting up offices, and he wants to know. The greater our conversion, the greater love and outgoing concern that we have, godly love, the more that becomes a permanent facet of our characters, a permanent facet of it. And therefore, the greater our ability to serve others in love becomes. For Christ Jesus... Living God's way is just self-expression. He has God's spirit without measure. When he's doing this, he's just expressing himself. He's doing his own thing. Well, to the extent that we are um, converted and we are commanded to grow in the stature of Christ, we'll be doing our own thing forever. How wonderful. Living God's way of life, his law, and just doing our own thing forever. But our own thing must be God's thing. That's called conversion. Our wills are being changed to be like God so that we will choose as he does. Just because that's who we are, that's what he wants to know. And it determines a lot as to where he can place you. I know I've said this before, but um, I used to to do this more often back in my pastoring days. But I would say, remember that unassuming person? In the church, it's often I call the the proverbial little old lady in the church, or a bunch of them, several of them. They're always back there giving, loving, serving, helping, encouraging, doing one thing after another in a very giving, loving way. They're not looking for recognition. They just want back there loving and serving and helping. I always said uh, to the deacons and elders, Be really, really nice to that person because you're likely to be working for her for the next thousand years because that's what God measures. That's what he's looking for. Luke 16, 10 through 12. I'll just read it. Luke chapter 16, verses 10 through 12. He was faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he was unjust in what is least is unjust also in unjust in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? Summarize point number three. The character that you developed now is something that you will take with you. Point number four is one more thing that we can take with us after our deaths. This is a real nice one. It's our relationships. There's an old joke. It says, love at first sight, that's easy. Love after 25 years, mm, maybe another matter. Well, what about love after 25,000 years? 
Is anybody jumping up and running out? No. Love after 20 or 20, 250,000 years. Look at either side of you. We're going to be with each other first for a thousand years and then forever in the family of God. We're going to be forever together forever. That's a pleasant thought. What a pleasant thought that is. I'm looking forward to it. Much of the New Testament is used to teach us about relationships. We have many excellent sermons here on that, preached on that subject, and for a very good reason. Loving one another is the spirit of the law, and this biblical emphasis on relationships is critical to us and is critical and very important to God. Our relationships must last forever. The most valuable things we have at the end of our lives sometimes are, well, I think always, I believe, are our relationships. When people look back and they look back over their lives, they frequently th- they think of their family, their friends, the relationships they had, not the, you know, the physical things that they had. I have four children. If a billionaire has only three, I consider myself to be the richer man. Summarize point number four. So what else do you get to take with you? Well, your relationships. And those who are in God's kingdom will know each other forever. So God says that it is critical to our character that we build very good ones, very good relationships in this age. Okay, I've got bad news and good news. Start with the bad news. The bad news is that we are flesh and we always die. We always have been. That's built into our cellular structure. All the gold, all the silver, all the money, all the bass boats, all the cars, all of the wonderful things that we are so happy with in this age, the pyramids, the mountains, the governments, they'll all pass away. They're all going. But the good news is that there are some things that you can take with you in addition to your eternal life that is a gift of God. One that you can do is your reward, of course. It's reserved in heaven for you now, and Christ brings it with him when he comes. You know, God has an, is an excellent accountant, a very good accountant. He misses nothing. He knows everything. Entering God's kingdom is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That is an infinite gift which cannot be earned. What you do after you enter the kingdom, your office, your position of service, is by reward and depends on your demonstrated works and your character. Let's do that again. Entering God's kingdom is, and is by um, um, grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But what you do after you enter the kingdom, your office and your position, is by reward. And it depends on your demonstrated works, which are an expression of your character. Another thing we take with us, of course, as I said, is our character. It's yours forever. And it determines your capacity to hold office in a kingdom ruled by love and outgoing concern for others. Character. To God is a kind of spiritual aptitude where service and your rulership are going to be concerned. 
That's one good reason why we can rejoice in trials, because God is changing us and uh, developing, uh, developing us inwardly. He says he is doing a good work in us, and we can rely on that. The third thing we take with us is our relationships. There's something that we will have in God's family forever, and it's essential for us to build them and hold them uh, as being extremely important. Reward for works, character, relationships, all connected. And you can take them with you. 